0: Welcome to episode 135 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. On today's show, Lane Kawoka. he is a investor and syndicator and licensed civil engineer. Uh, Lane has a master's degree in civil engineering with an emphasis in construction management and a bachelor's in industrial engineering, both from the University of Washington in Seattle he currently owns 65 apartment buildings, two manufactured home developments, a hotel, an assisted living facility, and that all is totaling about 10,000 units. Lane's coming on the show today to share a little bit about what he's learned over the years and maybe pass on some tips and tricks uh, for you folks listening today. Lane, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Landon. Aloha, everybody.
0: Yes, Lane, you're coming out of uh, Hawaii today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're you're uh, what four hours behind uh, the Midwest? Does that, does that sound right?
1: I, yeah, or three, one or two. Daylight savings you, just hit, so we don't do that out here. But uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're yeah, you're always you, behind, you guys.
0: Yeah, there you go. Uh, so kind of take a send. So you kind of started small and then just exploded and and now i mean you know kind of give us the 10,000 view and then and then let's get into kind of the day to day on on what you're learning now what 2023 has looked like for you and then what's 2024 going to look like for you
1: yeah i mean where the we started right was just a passive investor working my engineering job um graduated college back in 2007 bought the first house to rent out in seattle 2009 um and Through this time, just was saving up my money to put 20% down payments, never did any of the wholesaling stuff, never did any of the uh, fix or flips, just uh, started buying rental properties. And then, you know, as everybody knows, Seattle is a very high-priced area, such as California. The numbers just don't work. Um, Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to kind of start at the right time, but I eventually gravitated to a portfolio of all these turnkey rentals, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners kind of have heard of. So I picked up 11 of those. So five in Atlanta, four in Birmingham, one in Pennsylvania, and then one in Indianapolis to start out. So I had 11 of them. And that took us up to about 2015. So from 2009 to 2015, people don't realize how slow this is. This is not the get-rich-quick scheme. But then- Well, and it's important to
0: note too, in 2015- most MLSs allowed people to put package deals on the MLS. So you could, you could search for the keyword as a realtor package deal or multiple property, and you could actually list them. And then, uh, the appraisers all fought over making that not happen because it was messing with the market. And so, but yeah, 2015, you could find package deals. Just, just, yeah. Google well, them. I was
1: buying them by themselves. I bought them all individually. Oh, wow. Back then. Okay. Um, because I, you know, that was just what I wanted to, I wanted to separate different mm-hmm. geographic areas, not to be all in one place, right?
0: How many um, just, houses did you have per market though, at that point? Uh,
1: five in Atlanta, four in Birmingham, and one in Pennsylvania, one in Indy. So I was kind of on this stick of like, you know, get 20, 30 houses, right? And maybe six or seven in each of these four or five markets. Um, But, you know, I'll tell people, Rental properties are a great way to get started. That's for sure, right? Help me get to a credit investor status. However, they're just not scalable after a certain point, and I definitely started to see that around eleven rental properties. Um, to give people what a sense that what it how it is, you know, I had professional property management, right? I know you guys do that. I mean, you guys are godsend, especially for those out of state investors, and that's what I was at the time. But, you know, even with 11 rentals, that was a few thousand dollars of passive cash flow a month. But, you know, you need $10,000, $15,000 at least, right, to, to retire. And that's like 30, 40 houses. But just with 11, maybe an eviction or two every year, some kind of big catastrophe that happens every quarter. You know, of course, Landon's guys are, you know, taking care of all those headaches for me. But at some point, it does become a little bit, a bit of a headache for the landlord or the owner to kind of bird dog the property manager to do all this stuff. And, and mind you, I had, you know, four geographic areas that I had to work with, four different property managers. So I started to realize, hmm, this is becoming a, quit of, a bit of a pain in the butt to manage all these properties remotely. And that was kind of where I started to interact with other accredited investors and started to learn about syndications and private placements and being a passive investor in you know more commercial assets right bigger deals
0: okay so that brings us to what 2017
1: yeah about 2015 2016 i kind of knew the writing was on the wall and i started to search for you know you know what does a guy do when he owns rental properties see you what know, he goes looks for something bigger that's an apartment right so we get into the multifamily apartment investing world and you know, kind of started to learn about that, started to realize that, you know, there are a lot more scalable when you're able to get a, you know, 60 unit. Now you're able to have a leasing agent there on site at the property all the time. But, you know, once you get about 100, 150 units, now you're, you're getting a lot of great economies of scale. No longer are you getting gouged by plumbers who come on there and, you know, you know, you have those people on salary and staff, you know, you have HVAC people or people who are HVAC trained to knock out those those little issues here and there. And you get a lot of these economies of scale. And instead of a house, which is very unique asset, they're all different. You know, apartments for the most part are boxes, right? Interior boxes that you're renting out.
0: So, you know, keep, and, so keep going. So you, so you got this first one, 65 units. I'm assuming you sold all your single family. Did you sell all the single family in like 1031 into a multi-unit? How did that happen? Uh, mm-
1: no, I, I mean, I, I had money to go into as a deal, as a passive investor, you know, normally it takes 50 grand and I just wanted to try it out, right? Because it was a big difference when I was kind of a landlord myself operating the asset. And then when you give up control, right? As a passive investor, the nice thing is you don't get the debt in your own personal name and you don't really have to do anything, but it is a big step, right? Um, Signing all these PPM documents and then kind of giving up control, right? And oversight, so mm-hmm. there has to be a lot of trust, you know, with the people that you're working with. But you know, I, I had the ability to invest in some deals, figure out who were the right people to work with. And then around 2016, 17, I started to divest my single family homes, which luckily I had appreciated and then started mm-hmm. to go all into um, a more of a, a, a securitized kind of form with syndications and got away from all direct ownership of, of rental properties.
0: And at this point, you're still W two, or still doing your primary job, and then this is money that you, like, are self directing in an IRA, or what? What were you? Uh, most I of mean, this was, was cash. Was I mean, I, you
1: know, I was in my thirties, right? And I, what I tell most of my investors these days is like, I don't. For most people, unless you make over three hundred sixty thousand dollars adjusted gross income, and you're older, um, it retire these the retirement accounts don't really make sense to me. Because you're just delaying taxes, and you want to pay your taxes now while your tax bracket is lower, while everybody's tax brackets is lower, right? I think taxes will go up in the future, and you want to invest in these types of arrangements where that's you're the, That's the losses. only
0: way they've gone is up. So I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. essentially putting
1: your money in <laughs> right. in the four hundred one k or these deferred. Payment plans is like giving the IRS a blank check to tax you on whatever the heck they want you in the future.
0: Nice. That's an interesting it's, way of thinking it. Yeah.
1: I mean, unless you're older and you're right on the doorstep of the retirement age where you don't get hit up with a 10% penalty, it just makes so much more sense to just pay the right. piper, take it out now. And and when I started to interact with other credit investors and, you know, in these syndicated deals, you can do what's called a Called a cost segregation, where when you know when I think a lot of listeners know you can deduct one twenty seventh of the value of the, the property of the right, per improvement sure. portion every year as depreciation, which is great, mm-hmm. but it's super well, not, slow. not not
0: just you can, you have to, you have to. A lot of people think, oh well, I'm not going to take the depreciation. Well, you will, because when you sell it, they're going to recapture it whether you took it or not. Like, yeah. That's the that's the caveat to depreciation. The IRS takes it. I mean, you're forced to take it. Yeah, no, so you're, let's, let's you're not exactly
1: that. right. I mean, whether you take it or not, but but I mean, you can, with these larger syndicated deals, a cost segregation can be done. Typically costs like five, $10,000 to do that. But on a large 100, 200 unit apartment, what's eight grand? That's nothing. Mm-hmm. And with that, you can take, you know, I've seen one third of the property written off all in the first year. What this does individually for our passive investors is makes a huge, huge amount of passive losses the first year, maybe 10, 20 times the amount you would have gotten otherwise. And now this this creates a whole bunch of negative passive losses, which you can go and attack other passive income on your sheet. But if you're doing rep status, real estate professional status now attack other mm-hmm. other income that you have under maybe from your day job.
0: Which, which could be hard to prove for a lot of folks. Um, that's a hard that's a hard one. That's getting more and more hard even with the hour requirements and stuff. So let's just kind of summarize real quick for those that may just say, like, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. So what i what I think you're talking about is a group of folks getting together, pooling their money, and purchasing a multi-family apartment complex. We're talking a hundred unit, two hundred unit, three hundred unit, five hundred unit, thousand unit and all pulling their money to buy it with a plan in place that they're either going to sell at a very precise time or at a precise income or whatever. And then they're all sharing the tax benefits and the expenses along the way of that purchase. And what he's saying is, is when you buy a hundred million dollar apartment complex, let's say you're dividing that by 27 and a half. And then each member, depending on what share they have is then writing off that, that Depreciation on each year's taxes. And the good thing about it is you never had to spend any money to get that expense, right? Depreciation is something that requires no spending. Uh, you know, as, as business owners, we got to go buy a golf cart, right? To write it off for the golf club, right? No, nothing needs to be bought here for depreciation. So yeah, it's uh, actually better. Did than I say that, that not, right?
1: It's not 127th, yeah. but it's one third the first year. Wow. So 10, 10, times, 15 times, something like that, the first year. Yeah. Um, and I mean you could cost say, your little single family home, it just won't be cost effective, right? On that scale. <laughs> right. But this, you know, this is the the bonus depreciation. And you know, bonus depreciation is going away over these next few years, but this mm-hmm. also brings in the more aggressive depreciation, totally legal, right? But when you have a larger property, you can now itemize the different dates of the asset. And you Super say, te- kind of so technical for, they're listening but...
0: And, but they're what what type of income range benefits from this? You said it's 360, but you were talking about IRA, like if you make less than 360, you should probably not be investing in in like your long-term retirement accounts. Kind of run me through that again as far as like where are we yes. talking? What kind of tax yeah. burden or, or liability should you have to start thinking this way?
1: Well, everybody should. Right, because if you're using Roth IRAs, IRAs accounts, or deferring your taxes, that's like playing checkers when the wealthy are playing chess. What I'm talking about is your adjusted gross income driving that down, based off of you have passive income. You have, you can knock that out with passive losses, or I I would disagree with it. Which you said earlier, it's rep status is something everybody needs to be looking at. If not, it's kind of going behind your back and you're probably missing out on a big opportunity there. And it would likely, I would say 95% of our investors change their CPA because most of the CPAs just don't understand this stuff. Now, that said, I'm not a CPA, right? Right. right. Again, I don't have a job like some of them, right? but sure. it's important to kind of work with the right CPAs right which kind of we found so uh,
0: out there. obviously obviously if you're if you took the standard deduction and you take the standard deduction right that this is not for you but if your tax obligations is like what what, what would we say 50,000 and greater per year that's kind of who this falls into what I mean, yeah, get, I mean I would say if you're
1: this. if you're pro- if you're probably over a couple hundred thousand dollars probably would make sense the brain damage to to get really start to educate yourself on this or if not at some point your income will increase, right, in mm-hmm. the future.
0: Okay, so let's fast forward. Interest rates are climbing. We're now in a world where syndications may not work, right? It might not come together unless it's maybe an all cash syndication is that what you guys are able to pull off or are you syndicating and still leveraging when you when you purchase these multifamilies?
1: Well well syndication is just you know kind of going back on what it is right like it's a mechanism for pooling investor capital together to now mm-hmm. go after a asset that is less heavily com- competed against right? I mean this is the whole point of why we syndicate, why we go to 100, 200 unit apartment complexes or whatever where we do a big um you know non-real estate investment right because we want to get away from the small players buying one million dollar or less or five million dollar or less properties the duplex triplexes mm-hmm. quads 16 units right it's very competitive in those spaces and what we want to do is rise above that crowd get around the proddiness and get to there where there's a little bit less competition. We can syndicate anything it could be apartments self-storage it could be a bunch of pizza franchises it could be a bunch of buying a bunch of engineering firms professional services or law firms you can syndicate anything so right now with interest rates high real estate is heavily impacted by real estate like right now like i haven't really bought anything since last summer because you know interest rates are high per the fed but really what it is it's the loan to values are a lot are very low it used to be, I could get 70% loan to value, but when loan to values are 50%, like how they are now, I have to bring more capital to the table, even with, um, you know, like prices went down like 30% commercial real estate for the most part, right? Even with price discounts, even if I can get a 30, 40% price discount, I still have to bring more to the table because the loan to value requirements require me to do that. And because I'm a, at the end of the 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 deal kind of guy, right? What are the numbers? What are my returns? A lot of that is heavily impacted based on how much capital, right? My initial investment, right? So that's why we haven't really been doing real estate. Normally as has have done as value add. Today, we kind of focus on development because it kind of is a little bit insulated by a lot that's happening lately in real estate world. And preferred equity is another option where we're kind of just lending out as debt and then possibly even getting outside of real estate right we, we're kind of doing some atm machines i'm possibly looking at even some venture capital in the saas business space or you know product space um it's it's again it's like the evolution of the investor right like i think real estate's great in an environment of interest rates being low right but right now if you can't get debt good debt it, it kind of takes that, that away.
0: Well, you got, yeah, right. The, the, the ability to leverage is really what created the real estate market we know of today. Okay. So let's kind of bore down because this is a real estate show. I mean, we could get off into all types of exciting things and I love to do that with friends around the fire and things, but let's talk about those that already have maybe a multifamily, maybe they got a duplex, maybe they got a portfolio of 80 units and they're like, well, crap, I was going to expand. I was going to buy more. And now I kind of, like you said, you haven't bought anything for a year. A lot of us are like that where, you know, I mean, I, over a decade in this industry, I, when I buy it, I know exactly what needs to trigger. And I will wait until that triggers. And when it triggers, great. When it doesn't, it doesn't. And a lot of us are that way. And so now we've got the portfolios and we're like, we're going to tinker with them, right? That We call it tinkering, portfolio tinkering. What are things that you maybe have heard from friends or that you've tried or that you're kind of hearing on the street to kind of prepare us to have better returns in 2024 with our existing portfolios?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the simple like kind of hedge the, the the um the bush a little bit, right? Like Look at your portfolio. What are the twenty percent worst ones or the ones with maturing debt? You may have to take a loss, but just cut it off at this point, right? That may be the best situation. Right now, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but if people go to Chantum Financial, the people who um sell all the interest rate caps, that's our best guess. That's kind of the Vegas odds right now, and they're saying that interest rates will probably peak Q one of next year, and It won't go down right away, but hopefully by the end of the year, it starts to trickle down. But it won't trickle, it won't go under 4% for quite some time. So, with that in mind, right? Like, can you wait that long? Can you wait to survive till 2026 on where you're at? And if not, the decision may be to slowly prune off properties, then to maybe maybe be a net seller in that. That said, prices are really low right now, at least in the commercial world because there's not many buyers out there because most buyers need good debt, which is not available
0: It's mm. a really good it's point. So let's have a log jam, right? right. It, <laughs> it, it is a log jam but for those that did make good decisions over the last three, four, five years, and I met with one today that that, you know, I mean, just the amount of wealth that was generated in the last few years is insane. And these folks, by all means, no, you know, a lot of them are not hurting, right? Like it's, it's, it's wonderful, but what they want to do is be able to kind of be ready for that 2024, 2025, where what we keep saying in the industry is a lot of the younger kids are saying to hell with buying, right? Like they're not even thinking of buying anymore. It's all about what rental can I get and how can I rent and what can I do with my rental and, you know, even manufacturers coming out with these new things that are stickers on backsplash, you know, you rent a property, you don't like the backsplash, you can put a, like a wallpaper kind of thing on your kitchen backsplash to customize it while you're renting, right? So like, we're, we're kind of gearing up to have this new movement where, the young generation just kind of stops looking forward to buying their own home and is more uh, what we call like the more portable where they just rent. And then that's all about traveling and experiences in life. And so I think we've really tried to kind of understand that and really say, what does that mean? And how do we sales pitch the new tenants now? And we're using words like your space, right? You get your space in life. I know my space is doing the metaverse where instead of renovating your home right you just buy a headset to make your home look nicer right so i mean that's kind of crazy to think about but i think it's really where we're a lot of us are realizing how do we serve the consumer and the consumer in our industry right is the next generation that's renting right what are they looking for What questions are they asking our intake staff when they're saying, you know, hey, does it have this? How much is my pet deposit? I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a like a three times increase in emotional support animal uh, documentation. I mean, it's exploded since Biden has allowed that to basically be treated like a service animal. So before we used to be able to add on like $20 a month pet fee. 25, something like that, uh, per pet. And, you know, these folks have two, maybe three pets. So that's $60 per unit coming in every single month. Well, now they go and they get a letter from their doctor, which takes nothing. It's $99 online, some cases. And now we can't by law charge a pet fee anymore or even a pet deposit, right? So these are that's how kind of the landscape has been changing. Um, Is it scary? Sometimes, yeah. But it's also exciting because... We have big corporations with like 30,000 rentals, like just is a massive, huge, like the they, they tunnel vision, if you will. And then the smaller kind of property owners, they're pivoting, right? In a lot of different ways. And so uh, we're even rolling out, we're the first company in Oklahoma to offer uh, Bitcoin payments for tenants and owners, Right. We just flip us over into a monthly fee uh, where you just pay a monthly fee uh for us managing. And then all of a sudden, the tenant is able to send a wallet transfer directly to your wallet. And you just let us know if that doesn't happen. And we go in and do what we got to do. So there's a lot of things I think happening now uh in the rental space that are really exciting to me. It feels like kind of the wild, wild west again. And and I just wanted to hear, you know, have you heard any of that on your side? I mean, I know you're you're kind of like way up here, you know, it, you know, and 40,000 feet up there, but are you hearing any outside the box ideas from your property managers or from these leasing agents or just even people pitching you on uh, new returns? Anything coming on your side in that?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we, we build, right. We build workforce housing. So you're a $10, dollar $10. $10.30 a square foot type of properties i mean definitely the one trend is people don't really need big spaces anymore. they would much rather have you know my new build at 900 square feet one bedroom than a 1200 1400 square foot house that's old that's 50 years old they would rather have new and small than old and large. Um, I think that is definitely a trend. And like you kind of said, it may not be huge, but they put their stupid glasses on, their lenses or Apple Pros, then they don't which cost them two months of rent, maybe. <laughs> then it right. doesn't matter, exactly. right? I mean, that's definitely a trend. I mean, long term, the, the fundamentals haven't changed. The population is growing, especially the lower middle class. And that's kind of what we invest in right? We don't build luxury apartments. We are more for people making fifty to $70,000 a year, the young professional. And then, of course, we have our Class B assets and some Class C, right? So, I mean, it, it, there a population that's, you know, growing, um, you know, a lot of immigrants coming in. It's always that, that lower middle class that I think is the underserved population that we kind of focus in on.
0: Now, so there's two main ways to kind of get occupancies filled. And this is something that when we look at like buying a, a large portfolio that a lot of people don't drill down into, and I feel like it gets missed. And that is, let's look at some of the applications to try to understand how they were able to fill that vacancy at that price. Right. Because I'll have some property managers or some portfolios come in and it'll say, you know, well, we're 100 percent occupancy at really good market value, like up the top market value. But then when I drill down, I'll see, well, they were accepting five seventy five credit scores. Right. Or they were waiving deposits or they were doing six month leases, right? And so then we get, okay, well, you're at $1,200 a month rent or whatever that, whatever that that nice, you know, $1,900 a month rent, but really what did you trade to get that, right? So I feel like that discussion really needs to be kind of on the table now when we're trying to decide like, okay, portfolio evaluating, what's it full of and what does it take to keep it that full? And like, who is our end consumer? when we look at multifamily a lot of times people forget that the allure of multifamily is trying to find a tenant that has a uh, a psychology of wanting to live in a community that's tight that's small perhaps it's someone that likes the security of having a lot of people around or they like the pool right the amenities the 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 gymnasium that's there they can cancel their their gym membership and they they can go right on site here and those things, when you're transitioning from single-family home directly into multifamily big housing, you might miss that, right? Like that's a that's a subtle thing. Like for example, we we just took over a new apartment complex, and I it, and a lot of times, like I'm in duplexes a lot, I'm in single-family homes, and when I hear tenants call in and they're saying, you know, they want to speak to a manager, right? And I'm on the line, and they're saying things like. You know, no one else in the complex is doing this, right? The, the bandwagon theory. You know, like those are things that if you're not used to that, it'll catch you off guard because a tenant in a single family doesn't say the words. Well, no one else on my street is doing that, right? Like, it's not they don't say that, like, right? But in an apartment complex, they are. Hey, I'm not. My rent's high, higher than everyone else's next to me, or you know, no one else has to park their car here, so. Very interesting metrics. I kind of love that about multifamily, where it is a different psychology. It's like a beehive kind of thing. And I think if you can really drill down on that, there's a lot of outside-the-box ideas that I think would really capitalize uh your investments if you could just really um, you know, sit down with the property managers, listen to what they're saying, and then throw kind of your, you know, you're an engineer, for example, you know, just all the thoughts of how do we make somebody's life a little bit easier and what are their pain points? And also one more thing on that note, um, the, if you eliminate all the pain points, and this is what we ran into with um, yard size, like we, we increased some yard size on on another project and we actually lost tenant uh, retention uh, because it was a little bit too much. Right? So like you said before, they would rather have newer stuff in a smaller a place. Um, you really got to understand who your end consumer is because if you go in and you value add the wrong things, now you've actually limited yourself in the future. So you really got to ask those questions and then look between the lines of what the person's really asking for. So all right. I'll <laughs> that's my rant. Yeah. Anyway, I, 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 I would yeah, say like jump in here from
1: an apartment perspective. hmm I mean, going back to like the numbers, and you can kind of see from, like if you spend X amount on marketing from the normal channels, this is what's nice about apartment vesting. There really isn't too much emotion to it. It's very institutional system, right? Getting leads, people apply, they go to the website, they come around, they apply to these marketing channels. You have X amount of people that come in and apply. And then from there, you see who's qualified. Right, Like we'll typically have commercial property managers vet these people and it's very standardized. Um, so you can see from the numbers coming in and you can do this apartments because in a way they're all renting the similar product where houses are completely different, right? You're going to have two people put in applications for this one, seven for this one. It's all over the place. It's just not like a steady state system. But for apartments, it's pretty much, you know that they're pretty much looking Maybe a studio, maybe one bedroom, but they're pretty much all the same product at different price points. So you can kind of tell based from an analytics standpoint, all right, if I'm getting 50% of my tenants who can't even freaking pass the, you know, the, the income test, what is that telling us about either our marketing channel or maybe we're just doing running doing a, a downward spiral and our rents are too low. And we're just attracting the wrong kind of people and it's a race to the bottom right some people think that it's like well if your occupancy is a little low then just drop the price yeah yeah that makes sense right but there comes a point where if you drop the price now you start to attract some of the riffraff that shouldn't be living there in the first place and you're just going to drop the price where in most cases what we found It's you keep it the price, the market price, and you just got to hold the fort and wait until you get the right people. And your occupancy will not grow 5%, 10% a month, but it'll eventually get there. And what you don't want is all these bad tenants. Typically, when we take over a property, we're taking over bad, deadbeat tenants from the last owner. That's just part of the deal, right? Like You know, once you're selling something, you kind of don't really care and you put anybody in warm bodies in place. But at that point, you know, a lot of these people were put in who are less than um, you know, ideal, right? And you can kind of see that as you start to go through that first year of, you know, the regime change where higher evictions, you know, these are kind of the deadbeats that trash the properties on their way out. Um, that happens more and more when you start to drop the rents more than you need to.
0: Mm. Wow. Good stuff. I think that is the the differing line to where, I mean, I think you just you just explained to us all how you made the decision, what, almost 10 years ago now? Well, I guess that would be what, uh, eight, seven years ago now to say, I want out of the day-to-day grit and I want to get into more of a supervisor role of my investments and moving things. And you just explained that very, very good uh, with that answer there. Lane, how can folks get a hold of you? What uh, is our, you know, let them know where they can kind of learn more about you and what you're doing.
1: Yeah. If they're a credit investor and they're list- they're looking to learn more about these tax strategies, infinite banking and investing in syndications and private placements, they can go to the Wealth Elevator. Uh, we-, we have the podcast. Uh, the website is thewealthelevator.com. And if they got any particular questions, you know, how do you get started in this world? of investing as a passive investor, they can go to lane at the Wealthelevator.com. Shoot me an email.
0: Well, Lane, thanks for coming on the show today. If you're thinking it's time to buy or sell a home in central Oklahoma, why not work with a broker you already know and trust? The Oklahoma Real Estate Show was created by real estate broker Landon Witt to help you succeed. It's an award-winning, full-service, licensed real estate brokerage and property management service serving Central Oklahoma. You know that finding the right team in real estate is critical. The Oklahoma Real Estate Show is your boots on the ground with decades of combined experience and most of the team you already know and trust. What are you waiting for? Get started now at oklahomarealestateshow.com. That's oklahomarealestateshow.com.